0: Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus-centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! Welcome! Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Well, welcome to our viewing audience. This is the Jesus Collective Podcast, and we're so excited to have you here today. Joining me as a special co host is Cherish Hamilton. Cherish, I see you. How are you doing today?
1: I am great. Um, cooler weather has fallen on Houston, and it feels a little bit like a Houston fall, which is not saying much, but it's saying something for sure.
0: That wow, that's amazing. What what is cooler weather in Texas? I I ask as an interested Canadian. That's just what is cool for a Texan. <laughs>
1: Well, I only speak in Fahrenheit, so I can only share in Fahrenheit. Well, anything really below 90 degrees Fahrenheit feels cooler because we were well in the hundreds throughout summer. So we are drinking our pumpkin spice lattes and cooking chili and watching football. So, yeah, it's it's quite nice here.
0: Like 90 Fahrenheit, if I'm translating my head right, like that's like summer for me. Like that's exactly. that's amazing to me in the middle of summer, my summer. You're like, let's have a pumpkin spice latte. Okay. Wow. I
1: know. I know. But I have to say like this weekend we're hitting seventies, like mid seventies is the high. So, um, and I'm headed to watch a football game at Texas A&M, go Aggies. And so super excited about that to have some cooler weather and some football and some good time with some friends.
0: That's so good. So. Cherish, we are interviewing one of your professors today, yes. a longtime friend of our Jesus Collective, Mark Baker. Could you tell us a bit about Mark Baker and welcome him to our conversation?
1: Well, yeah. So, like you said, um, Mark is my current professor at Fresno Pacific University, where he is the professor of Mission Theology in the Bible Seminary in Fresno, California. He served as a missionary in Honduras for ten years and has written a number of books, including "Administering in Honor and Shame Cultures" with Jason Georges, "Centered Set Church," which is one of my favorite books right now, "Discipleship Mm -hmm. and Community Without Judgmentalism," and the book we're talking about today, "Freedom from." Religiosity studies in Paul's letter to the Galatians, which I am so excited to talk about today.
0: Hooray! Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. So good. What else could you tell us is new in your life? Uh, I mean, we've read a bio, we've had you on the podcast multiple times. Uh, what's new in your world these days? Yeah, I'm not sure. Why. I'd say the um, biggest
2: thing new, so I'll give you a broad and then maybe very specific. So, broad they're like doing this podcast. I have, um, I've done more podcasts and have more invitations to talk about this book and my centered set church book. And that's, uh, quite energizing and I'm glad to have these opportunities. And yeah, I was just thinking as, as we were getting started, yeah, what's new, we'll just talk about today. So here's my day. So I'm, I'm doing this podcast with you. I was just grading papers. Um, After this, I'm going into seminary faculty meeting and uh, grade some more papers, get ready for my class with Cherish on Monday, and then I'll head off to the Fresno County Jail where I lead a Bible study every Friday afternoon. So, there's a day in the life of Mark Baker.
0: What a fascinating day, especially the way you're ending it with a Bible study at, at a prison. like. But I don't know a lot of professors that had that kind of like on the ground practice. I, I'm just curious. Could you share initially what led you to that kind of invitation?
2: Yeah. So actually, I mean, it, it relates to what you just said. I was on the outreach commission at my church and, you know, they say, yeah, mission professor, that's an obvious thing, to put you on the outreach commission. And it was time to, you know, re-up for the second term. And I just had this thought, you know, rather than me being on this committee, um talking about facilitating other people's do outreach you know i'm around christians all the time teaching in a seminary maybe it'd be good for me to do some outreach and that was really the impetus and i looked for an opportunity and yeah got connected with a ministry in the county jail here and that was i think 10 years ago now wow and yeah. has that been just personally rewarding for you oh yeah wonderful yeah it's um uh, Yeah, I mean, enriching for me and feels like a valuable thing. And yeah, great.
1: Yeah. And the way that you reflect your experience in your book centered at church has been such a gift along the same lines as um, reading the Bible from the margins. Like that book has been so influential. It just gives a different perspective in a way in which uh, we're invited to see scripture from a, a position maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah. So, well, I would love to talk a little bit more about your current book, Freedom from Religiosity Study in Paul's Letter to the Galatians. And so we're just going to dive right in. So I would love for you to share, you know, um, a little bit about, you say in the first 15 years or so of ministry that you valued Galatians, but had no passion for it. I would turn to it when I sense someone did uh, not clearly understand that salvation is by God's grace, not human works. I thought it was an important book for someone, um like, but that was not so important for me. So what changed? Why is Galatians now important enough for you to write a book on it?
2: yeah, so i it it really was a you know a particular moment. Uh, and so this was I was living in Honduras, and um, and yeah, two of the big things that confronting, trying to deal with in Honduras, one was many churches were. Um, yeah, judgmentally legalistic and also in a way that that might be surprising in a situation of extreme poverty. There was a lot of resistance to a holistic gospel. Mm-hmm. And those are both things that I was yeah, pushing up against trying to figure out liberation. Anyways, I, I read an essay on Galatians by Richard Hayes in which he was arguing uh, for a um, arguing that, that Paul had a stronger community concern in writing the letter than just individual concern. And it, yeah, I mean, I, I like to think it was the Holy Spirit moving through that essay, but it was definitely a moment of paradigm change. And, and yeah, reading the essay, I thought, oh, you know, Galatians, in this way that Hayes was introducing me to that, I thought it could both— uh, go beyond deeper than just sort of, oh, legalism is a problem. Let's tell people that they're saved by grace, not works. But it, in his reading of Galatians, I, I felt, no, there's more going on here. It would take us deeper. And also, it, it gave me a sense that Paul's understanding of the gospel was not as individual and spiritual as I thought it had. And I thought, if we could get people to understand that Paul's sense of the gospel was broader, more holistic that would, so yeah, maybe say it this way, rather than going around and just reading Luke four all the time, or you know Isaiah 58 and trying to get people, "Hey, it's important, it's important mm-hmm. if if we could see for many people, you know, the gospel is Paul and so, or they get their gospel from Paul, So yeah, that was a moment where it just uh, it awakened to me, oh, there's possibilities here. And then just yeah you know, providentially, I, 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 a year later, I was at Duke University working on my PhD. And Richard Hayes, who had been at Yale, went to Duke that year. So it had nothing, you know, like, I didn't apply to go to Duke to work with him. But I he was the first door I knocked on when I got there. And Mm. so was able to go deeper. So that was the moment of us change for me.
0: Yeah, That's, (laughs) that's so good. I, one, I share a mutual appreciation for Dr. Richard Hayes. He's such a brilliant thinker, and mm. and definitely someone I I just has inspired me in, in all his works. His book, yeah. The Moral Vision of the New Testament, yeah. I think is one yes. of the best books. So good. Uh, so so I think you've already hinted at this, but like Galatians is read in different ways. There are, there are a plethora of different ways that. We've tackled this little letter throughout church history. And one common way that I think perhaps many of us kind of approach Galatians from evangelical backgrounds is like through Luther's dialectic of individuals burdened by guilt, seeking peace through works. So I'm curious, what can you tell us about that reading of Galatians? Why has it been so pervasive? And what are the sort of like difficulties and problems with approaching Galatians like that?
2: Yeah, I mean so so pervasive I mean one it's Luther, right? You know, I mean Luther's a big figure and and uh, uh, you know, appropriately so. And so yeah, and I don't want to be very careful here because I mean think about this, I think Luther, well even mentioning Hayes. I mean I think Luther was doing the kind of reading of scripture that Hayes advocates for. I mean he was he was in his context entering into scripture, finding connections um and, and making application. So I affirm what Luther, I think Luther had an appropriate experience of God's grace through reading Galatians. Like, that's good. That's cool. The problem comes, I think, in that what we have done, we, I mean, many of us, as you mm-hmm. say, you know, certainly in the Protestant West, um, is we have made Luther's, R- Luther's experience. We have made it the interpretation of Galatians, and and it, and it, I mean it's a sensible kind of thing, but but in another sense, it doesn't make any sense at all. So we see Luther gets a solution for his problem of being burdened by guilt and this works, you know, orientation. He gets a solution from Galatians, and then therefore, many people have just assumed, oh well, that's why Paul was writing the letter mm. to solve the problem that Luther had. Um, but that's really not the case. I mean, you know, like the word guilt doesn't even in the letter. And so, you know, I advocate for let's go back and read Galatians. Let's go back to the first century and try and ask, what was the situation Paul had in mind when he wrote the letter? And I think it wasn't the, the individual having experienced a mistaken teaching um, as Luther had. And 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 again, I, I want to say. To affirm it's not that I think that that interpretation, which I had, you know, taught for, for years. I mean, as as the quote that Cherish mentioned, it's not like that that's wrong. Let's get rid of it, mm-hmm. but it's uh it misses, it's too superficial. There's so much more. Um and I I think it does, it reinforces the thing I just mentioned about it, it leads us to think of Paul focused on individual, you know, spiritual liberation, period. So I think Paul was concerned about that, but much more. Um, And then the other thing is, you know, if you're not, if you're not, if you don't feel confused i mean i i knew and this is why yeah i wasn't so excited about galatians like i knew that salvation was by grace i didn't need to read galatians to be told that so why read galatians right so Mm. i think the sad (laughs) thing about that reading is it makes it oh this is a good text for those people who have that problem but for me yeah like i don't need to read it i just hand it off to the
0: I so appreciate like you naming some of the struggle of of your like usefulness with Galatians, as well as like you're naming like that we're we're trying to answer 16th century problems with 16th century solutions, like Luther's dialectic there. And I think you make me think of like an anti-right quote where anti-right says like we really need to understand our first century context and Mm. then bring those in conversation with our 21st century right and i think right yeah i see a lot of that at work here and and i i also appreciate that you you're not trying to just throw out luther you you identify that he's a person in his time that needs to answer the questions of his time but to say that the text is about Luther is, is a misstep and that's such a helpful corrective. Over to you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like as we're talking about how Luther has so informed us. And as I look across the landscape of my own life and seeing how my own context has informed my interpretation of Galatians, Mark, you've shared a little bit about honor, shame dynamic, um, which I'm sure you've seen a lot in Latin American experience there. I would love to know like, how does an honor-shame dynamic inform a fresh reading of Galatians for us?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, one thing, it, it helps pull away from that that focus, that individual focus of, of Luther. And, and it's doing, you know, just what Paul was saying. It's going back to the first century because the first century was an honor-shame culture context. Um, yeah, And, yeah, I mean, it, it would take a while to unpack and explain it's importing what's going on but let me yeah three maybe quick kind of things I could say about this is um first of all so there there's there's conflict in Galatians um and the conflict is between groups going back to you know what Hayes introduced me to so it's it's not just individuals walking around confused there's group conflict and I think when we look at it through an honor shame lens it it adds understanding to that dynamic. Um, you know in honor culture, it really mattered what group you were in, and then what other people think of your group because the group reflects on you. I mean, so yeah, in a more individualistic West, it's you know me and my shame. what do people think of me? but at that time, it's what do they think of the group and so you know even in 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 Galatians. It makes it makes sense that these Jewish Christian missionaries were trying to get the Gentile Christians to live like Jews because that would that that was a more honorable thing for them to be doing. Jews were accepted in society, and these crazy Christians were doing things that were out of the norm, were shameful. So it it helps understand that dynamic. Um, and then I think it also um, – it, it's not just the dynamic, but but to, to feel – like, say, in 612 in Galatians, Paul says, hey, to, to the Gentile Christians, you know, these people that are trying to get you to get circumcised, follow Jews, like, they're afraid of persecution. And for us, 21st century, we heard persecution, yep. and we think of Christians in some place – where they getting thrown in prison and you know being tortured or something. But um, yeah, David Harvey, who wrote a dissertation on honor and shame, a Jesus collective friend as well. I mean, really helped me see th- this persecution, better understand translated is, they're afraid of being shamed. Um, so that, that, that because if they're associated with this group that's not doing things in an appropriate way, They'll be shamed. They'll be excluded, persecuted. Um, and then um, I think I think also, however, it, it it forms a sense of Paul's concern because shame, right? So, we, again, we go back to the Luther thing of oh, yeah. he's struggling with uh, guilt, but these Gentile Christians were being shamed by these Jewish Christian missionaries. They're made, being made to feel like you don't measure up. And so I think looking through the honor-shame lens gives a sense of some of Paul's pastoral concern. And then, um, yeah, lastly, and this, yeah, this gets into something much deeper, and I'll try to do it in just a couple sentences and say, yeah, read the book. Um, So, Grace, um, I think— Looking through an honor-shame lens helps better understand grace in the first century and the conflict between Paul and these Jewish missionaries. Mm -hmm. Because in an honor culture, grace, it's still grace, it's a gift, but you don't waste your grace on someone that's unworthy. So there's Mm -hmm. status honor categories that go into who receives grace and these Jewish Christian missionaries as other Jews, and certainly as Paul would have been earlier in his life, they affirmed God's grace. um, But they saw it as given to those who are worthy, appropriate. Like it would be, it'd be, you know, unbefitting for God to give grace to these losers, like kind of thing. So, um, Whereas Paul, through the lens of the cross and his experience, came to understand that grace, God's grace, was um, given regardless of status, and so I think the honor shame lens can help with that grace understanding. Um, I totally, yeah, I totally to agree. Right? All those things, but that's a, a little bit.
0: I, yeah, oh, no, great. like I, I deeply resonate with yeah. the the grace, honor, shame lens, um, and how that works again because Luther's trained us so often to think of grace as a legal framework, like legal fiction and getting off the hook, whereas like in that ancient first century context, like grace is it was a word used to about gladiators, like you would grace gladiators victorious gladiators Mm -hmm. with like monetary gifts and all sorts of things and you're right the fact that god like puts grace to those at the bottom of the social ladder is like just it blows our minds yeah so good
1: yeah and i think this lends itself to the next question that i have like I would love for you for our listeners to for you to sum up like what is a centered set approach that you articulate in the book what is bounded set what is fuzzy set what is exactly what we're talking about when you say centered set approach and how are you seeing these dynamics at work in the letter of galatians
2: Okay yeah. So in the last one, how am I seeing it work? Like it is everywhere at work. So again, you know, read the book. Um,
0: but, and, I, I'm sensing a theme here. So yes. uh, please, please read the book.
2: book. <laughs> but I invite li- uh, listeners um, to, in a moment, hit pause, at, go to centeredsetchurch.com and on the, yeah, the, scroll down just, I think one section and it says free PDF. And there's a PDF there that has diagrams of bow that's centered in front. This is a very visual concept. So I'm yeah, going so
1: helpful. So I'm helpful. Gonna, to help you know, visual.
2: Try to answer it, you know, or display it in two or three minutes. But if you could be picturing, viewing those pictures, it would help a lot. So hit pause, go to do that, come back. Okay, so this is from um Paul Hebert, missiologist. Um borrowed this from mathematics, and his 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 idea is that. Groups have different ways of defining who belongs. And so a, a bounded group, bounded church is one that comes up with some criteria, draws a line, and whoever meets the criteria, and it can be, you know, behaviors, beliefs, rituals, and and it's not just, I mean, it certainly was those legalistic churches that I was, you know, walking amongst in Honduras. But, um, yeah, you can be, uh, yeah, as Megan Good said, you know progressive bounded, um, yeah. conservative bounded. So it's yeah. drawing a line, and then on the line, you you measure those who comply are in, they're good, they're good Christians, and those who don't are either not Christians or yeah, not good ones. and there's a sense of exclusion, superiority with the line. Um, so judgmentalism so then that, that's a problem and and people feel the problem of that and this is um i think increasingly common that in reaction to that problem um yeah my my initial reaction to my own bounded experience was well change the rules um but that that's not the solution i just put in new criteria kept the line um so the solution is seen, well, get rid of the line, and then you have a fuzzy group. So you, you have this, if a bounded group is a circle with clear delineation of who's in or out, a fuzzy group, um, is. It's, it, there's no judgmentalism, but there's also a very weak sense of what it means to belong, weak sense of identity. And so thankfully, uh, there's another option, which is a totally different paradigm, which uh, you know, Hebert calls a centered set, and the way a centered group determines who belongs is you choose a center and then you look at people's orientation to the center. So whereas bounded and fuzzy are positional, like what's your position in relation to a line? Centered is uh orientational trajectory, which way are you headed? Um and so I think uh I, I think this is a very, very helpful tool for understanding galatians and yeah i'll probably say this again somewhere in here but you know i i wrote this book it's sort of in two ways in relation to the bounded centered lens so one was i i wanted it to be a follow-up to centered set church to say hey if you want to you know have a greater sense of the biblical basis here's a book showing how centered set approaches in the bible galatians um But also in the other direction, I think uh, the bounded, fuzzy, centered lens is a very helpful tool in understanding Galatians. So I see Galatians teaching us how to better be a centered-set church, and I also see centered-set lens enabling us to understand dynamics in Galatians um, that, yeah, that, that we might miss otherwise.
1: Yeah, it was so beautiful this morning in preparation for this interview, Um, having just read your book as part of the class, uh, Centered Set Church, um, rereading Galatians, and I reread it in the message, um, was so refreshing and like... It was so eye-opening to see through that lens, that renewed and refreshed lens. So I just absolutely rec- recommend all the books Mark's written, but um, and read, have read a few, but um, Centered Set Church. I would be curious, as we're talking about Bounded Set and Centered Set in relation to Centered Set Church, your book and this book, if someone were to choose like an order in which to read these two books, do you have a, a recommended order?
2: Yes. I mean, I, I think I would... Um... Let me see, I think about this.
1: I, I think for <laughs>
2: leaders, I would go with centered set church first, yeah. because I think there's a broader, deeper explanation of the concepts there. Um, and then I view, uh, yeah, th- this book on Galatians. Okay, so the other way, if you're a small group leader, and you want to introduce it, then I think use this book as, you know, a Bible study guide, go through Galatians together. Um, so, um, yeah, I I think for a group, I'd either recommend the video series that, that we did with Jesus collective or the book for leaders. I'd probably say read centered set church first. Awesome.
0: So good. Well, let's get into, um, kind of, you're, you're building perspectives as you're opening up on this letter to Galatians, and you write in uh, page 40 here, you say, To say that Paul did not confront a teaching of salvation by works does not necessarily mean he did not confront a lived-out works righteousness. And so I'm curious if you could help our listening audience understand how you see this dynamic at work in Galatians. And then this next question is just for me because like I, I see something going on here. I'm curious if your perspective, how it relates to the discussion between the so called old perspective, the Lutheran dialectic, and the so called new perspective on Paul that like Wright, Sanders, Hayes would all be in that kind of camp. Is this a bridging point between those two perspectives? That is a great question,
2: Paul. I'm so glad you asked that. Let me yeah, talk about that for a moment. So, and um, yeah, let me start with with the second and then hopefully get back to the first if I don't remind me. Um, I think I will in the process. But yeah, so I want to take you again back to so I'm in my doctoral studies at at Duke and I've become awakened to Galatians and, you know, these new possibilities through reading, you know, a new perspective person. So I'm 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 become awake. And so, yeah, and, and brief for for people who might not be familiar with these terms, the new perspective on Paul, in essence, was taking this thing of saying, hey, Luther has had too big of an influence um, th- this is not what actually was going on in Paul, and so pulling away from that more individualistic reading. But another thing, you know, really significant, and E.P. Sanders you know, sort of leading the way on this, was saying, hey, the Jewish people had an understanding of God's grace. And so this sort of old traditional view of viewing there were these Jewish Christian missionaries, or, you know, Paul calls them agitators, who show up in Galatia and they are teaching the people that salvation was by works. And Paul responds to the problem by saying, no, salvation is by grace. And so EP. Sanders goes back and studies all these texts, you know in the time at, at that time and, and 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 affirms hey Jewish people were talking about grace. So he then says, this supposed problem of these people teaching that works of salvation, he said like that didn't exist and so therefore if that didn't exist then paul's you know response of saying no salvation by grace that's not it either and so then sanders and others come up well, okay well what is going on in galatians and romans um okay so now to the tension so i'm i'm on one hand taken by the new perspective approach and really appreciating that they're they're pulling me away from this more narrow individualistic lens, and and I had seen in my own experience, um, yeah, the, the 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 issues were more than just um, yeah a wrong teaching. But on the other hand, I was uncomfortable with this sort of downplaying of Paul's proclaiming grace, or even proclaiming, you know, justification by faith, and putting that down. Because in my mission context in Honduras, um, I still found it very helpful and important to to emphasize this grace message as part of what Paul was doing. Okay, now, and I, I started by saying, okay, I'm a, I'm a Duke doing my doctoral studies because I want you to you know, sort of imagine here's this guy sitting in his study, Carol, and I'm I'm working on my dissertation. Well, what am I going to do? Because on one mm. hand. I want something that's going to work in Honduras, proclaiming grace. But these new perspective people are telling me, you know, that can't be what Paul was about because that problem didn't exist. And so then I had this insight and this is where, you know, I'm, I'm first missionary and then second, you know, PhD in theology. And I I think at times that's a really helpful combination. And this was one of those times, I think. So what what I did uh, was I, I thought about churches I'd interacted with in Honduras, and they all taught that salvation was by grace, right? I mean, there was not an evangelical church. Uh, you know, regardless of how legalistic they were or whatever, they all taught that salvation was by grace. They did evangelism in that way. But what were they doing? They preached grace, but they lived as if salvation was by grace. Works, you know, works righteousness. I mean, and even when, sorry, I'll try to rein this in. But you know, in in Please my we're loving this <laughs> Oh, come
1: on, this yes. I, uh, you know,
2: I, I interviewed people. So I I, I went down yeah. one summer to hunt back to Honduras, and I interviewed people in these churches, visited churches, and I interviewed also people in the neighborhood on the street. And the interesting thing was, if you ask someone in the church, how do you become a Christian? They would give, you know, uh, yeah, an Orthodox Christian, you know, accept Jesus as your Savior, ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But I asked people on the on the street, what do you have to do to become, you know, a Christian evangelical? And they would say, oh, well, you know, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop smoking, stop going to the movies and then go to church. And so these churches, they're preaching this correct teaching about salvation by grace, but what they were living out was communicating another message. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Okay. Now I don't think, you know, this, yeah, made any big impact on E.P. Sanders, but what I was reading sitting in my carol was, okay, what I want to say to E.P. Sanders is you only looked at texts, what was written. And I think we need to look not just at texts, not just at words, but what was lived out. So in Honduras, and in my own experience, I observe people that had correct doctrine about grace, but were living out a judgmental works righteousness. Therefore, I can't prove that that was happening in Galatia because it's, it's lived out. But from reading the text, and as Cherish just said, I mean, through leading through the bounded uh, lens, centered lens, I think in Galatia, that's what was happening was it's not that there was incorrect teaching, but the way these Jewish Christian missionaries were treating the Gentile Christians was leading the Gentile Christians to feel as if they needed to do works to be part of the people of God. Mm. Um, So, yeah, that's my and, and I I hope that yeah, through reading this book, this can be a a bridge in that sense of people who, who you know, maybe attracted a new perspective, but are uncomfortable with how far it might pull away from a sort of traditional gospel emphasis on grace. I don't, I think we can have both.
0: And And I would say, like, as I read your book, I would say you are firmly in the camp of actually where some people in the new perspective would actually go. Like, I hear a lot of like, definitely you your right would probably go more your direction. Uh, but, but you're right. There's, there's multiple different takes on the new perspective in which, right. Sometimes they're, they're forgetting about that. There are new perspectives, yes. not just Correct. one. So there is.
1: Yeah. Okay. So as a little segue here, I would love to just rapid fire, ask some questions if that's all right. Um, So, one, did Paul actually write Galatians? Yes or no? Yes. Hooray! (laughs) Yes. Um, I feel like I should be grading like true-false, like the the quiz. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Was the letter sent to Northern Galatia or Southern Galatia?
2: I'm agnostic on that one. Sorry. <laughs> I got to answer I think it was
0: South Galatia. That's me.
3: You okay. Do? Yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, no,
0: actually, so yeah, I know I'm supposed to give
2: rapid fire. When I was, <laughs> I haven't, I've, I've written another commentary on Galatians in Spanish, and it's a more traditional, you know, academic scholarly thing. And I spent, you know, some days reading, thinking about this. And in the end, I thought, you know, for the stuff I want to talk about, doesn't matter. So I don't know. You're
0: right, it doesn't.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just curious questions. All right, pre-Jerusalem Council or post-Jerusalem Council, like Acts fifteen. Post. What do you think? Post. Post. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. Now this uh, one, I'm an I'm a little peaked interested on this because I love historical. Like I love studying history in uh, parallel to studying scripture. So, dating a Galatians forty-seven to forty-nine AD or fifty-four to fifty-six AD.
2: You know this question. Sorry. I mean, it's really close. This this question (laughs) is so so little importance to me that I don't remember what I said (laughs) in my Spanish commentary. I I would, I'm guessing, guessing. yeah. So I'm guessing if they were doing a quiz, I'm guessing now I said fifty four to fifty six, but I don't know. No,
0: I think that's what for sure what you would say because I think most scholars date, yeah, because of the post Jerusalem Council. So you, most scholars date that between fifty and fifty one. Right. Well, I knew that the dating related to one of the previous two
2: questions, but I couldn't remember which one. So thanks, Paul. You get the gold star there.
0: (laughs) I'm just a big nerd. so.
1: (laughs) Okay, and this one informs my current project I'm working on to submit this weekend for class. Like how big were the letters Paul wrote within his own hand? Size 18 font or size 48 font?
2: Well, yeah, you know, I would go in between, actually. I'd I'd say more, you know, 28 or something like that. (laughs)
1: all right can i use that in my in my okay. paper is that okay
0: yeah <laughs> wow 28 you're gonna that's
2: get
1: those big. eight
0: pages in Duh.
1: bold <laughs> awesome thank you mark
0: thank Thanks. you for participating in rapid fire I relations know. Rapid that's fire. so much fun
1: that's so fun <laughs> uh,
0: so curious like you've hinted this at this already about your own live practice in honduras um and in the book, you offer this helpful lens for reading mm-hmm. Paul and Galatia, and that lens mm-hmm. is learning to read Paul as a missionary theologian. Why is that a helpful framing of Gal- Galatians?
2: Yeah, so I mean, uh, uh, a number of things. I will try to stand clear. I mean, first of all, I think to th- there's passion in this letter, and it's it's not okay. And, and I, you know, I have a PhD in theology. I'm a systematic theologian. So, but this is not a text of systematic theology systematic theology tends to not have pa- like paul is passionate he's he, he have pastoral concerns he feels so i think that's important to recognize this this is this is not a removed you know guy sitting at his desk just having a, a you know a, a, yeah doctrinal argument um and then secondly i think that it's it's very important in the sense of situational he's a missionary theologian so he's responding to situations and contexts he's not he's not working on a you know this is the third chapter in his volume of systematic theology he's he's doing theology in response to particular situations and i think that's uh, helpful to understand him and also a good model and then lastly here i'll um i'll, I'll recommend yeah, a good friend of mine, a former student, Ryan Schellenberg, um, who is, yeah, a much more uh, learned and significant Pauline scholar than I am, who he, he's really emphasized this to me, is that we, many of us, have so treated Paul as if he's, first and foremost, systematic theologian, that the human Paul gets lost. And he Come would on. say, you know, yeah. Paul was... Yes, lost. preach. You read Galatians, like, this is a guy, I mean, he's feeling hurt. He's feeling confused. He's feeling pain. Like, let Paul be human. Um, so I just mentioned, yeah, Ryan just had a book called Abject Joy, which talks about Paul in prison. It could give you a little bit of a view for that. Or just Google his name and, you know, read some articles he's written. So...
1: Yeah, I would love for you to take a second to expound on that a little bit. A human Paul, so with this question in mind, like what do you think was going on in the cultural context which led Paul writing this letter to the churches of Galatia? Why do you suggest there is a judgmentalism and religiosity at work? And how are we to understand those terms today?
2: Okay, so and, and this I'm going to reach back to what we're talking about, honor and shame. So in the cultural context, again, the the group you're in matters. And it's, it's, uh, it's really important. And so um, in one sense, there's this tension between, hey, the people of God is Jewish people. So you new converts, you need to live like a Jew. So there's a religious cultural sort of thing going on there. But then there's also just a sense of which group are you in and who do you belong to? And um, if um, yeah, if you let me read a couple sentences from the book, please
0: do. Um, yes. So this free is free book content where, even without paying for the book. Awesome. <laughs> I feel like you know, uh, yeah, our
2: our translations do uh, good work at making things more readable, but sometimes you know, an awkward more literal is helpful. So in this one, both the New American Standard and King James. So. Um, so this is referring to Galatians 3, 7 and 9, 3, 10, and also um 212. So let me see what's the NIV have here. So it so understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a more literal translation as seen in and uh, now I'm reading page 141, as seen in NASB and King King James is those who are of faith. Faith are children of Abraham. And right, so like in English, like, yeah, like that doesn't feel like that makes much sense. What does this mean to be of faith? Um, but if you if you match that up with 212, which is talking about these people show up from Jerusalem, and it says they are of the circumcision. Mm. And so yep. um so J. Lewis Martin, another you know great scholar on Galatians, offers a translation that captures I think what is going on here in these phrases he says those whose identity is derived from faith mm-hmm. so those who are of faith it's it's this he's saying this is an identity issue mm-hmm. um, and so the the literal translation then lets us see the parallel, In 2.12, King James, those who were of the circumcision, and 3.10, who are of the works of the law, and then Martin's 3.10 translation, those whose identity is derived from the observance of the law. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Okay, so this cultural context, it's like, well... Mm -hmm who are you part of where does your identity belong and so then this becomes you know a a bounded centered fuzzy kind of question is it's not do you believe these right things but where's your identity is your identity are you of the faith of the faithfulness of jesus or are you of these lines that are drawn Mm -hmm. and i think that's yeah some of the cultural dynamic that is going on in in the
0: setting wow that that is so so rich Uh, i'm already like you know like connecting some parallels you know there's that whole discussion on the the pistis christi part of faith in the faithfulness of jesus like i could see how that's already yeah yeah that's already at work in some of what you're hearing in the text that's so good mark i really i love this (laughs) this is like i'm a, a galatians nerd so i'm just like eaten this in so this is like you really need to buy this book if you haven't um i want to transition us into a kind of a deep dive because we we can't talk about the whole letter of galatians um you're, you're gonna have to you know pick up some commentaries and read galatians and do all that work yourself but what we can do is we can look at a snippet kind of like a snapshot of galatians and then through that snapshot kind of engage mark's ideas on that he represents in his commentary. So I'd love for us to look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 21, and the prestigious and lovely Cherish is going to read that for
1: us. Oh, thank you for that introduction there. All right, Galatians 2, 11 through 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He used to eat with Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing.
0: Mm. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. (laughs) So, that's our snapshot in Galatians. And we're going to turn now to Mark, and I, I would like you to kind of help us understand what you see going on in this snapshot of Galatians. Why does a divided table represent such a challenge to the gospel? You know, uh, Paul uses that line, you weren't living in, li- in light of the truth of the gospel.
2: Yeah, so I, I think, um, and first of all, it's that, you know, 2.16, um So justified by faith in Christ or faith of Christ, like that, I mean, that is a central text. I mean, very strong Luther's reading, you know, that and maybe Galatians 3.28 that, you know, there's neither Greek nor Jew slavery might be, you know, the the most well-known texts. So, but what we've done here by, by reading the whole passage, we've seen the context in which that statement was made from Paul to Peter, um, so that invites us to think about justification in relation to this, these dinner practices in Antioch. And, and then just to yeah to put this in context, Paul is writing a letter to Galatian churches, but he's telling a story about something that happened to him earlier in Antioch. And I think... Back to where we began of saying, you know, Luther, hey, let's go to the first century and whatever was going on. I think this is a great place to get clues for what's the problem in Galatia, because Paul is telling the story. He wouldn't be telling the story unless he saw it related to what's going on in Galatia. Um, And then one last clarifying comment before we dive in is to say, you know, at this time, yeah, so they're eating together, these, these people show up from Jerusalem, that are you know, Jewish Christians, and they, their whole life have never, you know, eaten with Gentiles, and they just don't yeah. have it in them to go sit at the same table with Gentiles, that's inappropriate for them. Okay, this is not just, you know, an informal potluck, and it doesn't matter that they're sitting on the other side of the fellowship law hall, the, you, imagine, you know, this is the Lord's Supper, so we are, you know... Mm-hmm. We are celebrating communion because at that time they did it by eating a meal together. So in the midst of this meal, they would, you know, say as Christ, you know, instructed us as often as we do this. Um, so what you have there then is, the, I mean, literally the fellowship. This church is being divided over this, and so I think that's where you know this passion from Paul comes from. Um, and 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 what's the division about? It's Who gets to sit at the table? Who eats together? And for the circumcision faction, the people that come from Jerusalem, it's you need to live according to certain Jewish traditions. I mean, that's just right and appropriate. And they feel that. These are Christians but they feel like, you Gentiles, you need to start living like us. And I think, um, you know, back to the honor-shame thing, here's Peter's in the middle of this, Cephas. And it's not surprising at all that he's eating with Gentiles, right? And he's the one that opened up the way to the to, yeah. Gentiles. But what's going on here? These people show up from Jerusalem. And he is this, you know, this is this is a snapshot of bounded group religiosity, judgmentalism. Yeah. These people, they say, Oh, we're not going to eat with these. We need our own separate table. Peter is sitting there, and what's he feeling? He's feeling shame. You know, what are they going to say about me when they get back to Jerusalem? And that's bounded groups work. I mean, they're shaming. And so it's, it's a way of, you know, instilling correct behavior, belief, and they get Peter to change his behavior. Um, and then, yeah, there's this beautiful line that you mentioned where Paul confronts Peter and says um, that, I saw that you, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Um Okay, and there's a whole lot we could say here, but first of all, notice this is not about Luther. You know, he doesn't say, oh, Peter, you know, I see that you're confused about the teaching of whether we're saved by grace or works. <laughs> it's nope. it's about who you're eating with, um, and then he says you are not acting in line with. This is this is centered language. It's orientation language, um, so you're not living in line with the truth of the gospel so Paul is confronting him and saying, you know, stop this. Um, So I think it's, yeah, this Paul um, in response to a bounded practice is calling Peter into a more centered way. Um, I can't remember what the question was, but I'll stop there. You nailed it. You nailed it. So
1: good. So good. So. With this dynamic at play, um, I would be curious: How do we need to understand justification in this passage in a centered set dynamic? In way,
2: yeah. So, so thank you. And this is where I think it's really important to read the justification passage in relation to the table, because um, justification has to have something to do with who belongs at the table. Yeah. And um, so, rather than again going with Uh, you know, a very Western legal courtroom model of justification is what, what Paul mentioned previously, you know, sort of a legal fiction. God sees me as if I've never sinned. Um, Like that has nothing to do with this problem in Antioch. Um, So yeah. And here, I mean, I, I, yeah, I lean on people that know a lot more about these things than I do, you know, N.T. Wright and Richard Hayes and, um, Michael Gorman and say, "Yeah, I Mm. I think this is covenantal language, and it's about belonging. And so, to be justified is to be in right covenantal relation with God. To be so, it's to be in; it's to belong. It's not a legal fiction. It really changes something. You're you're either in this part of this people of God, or you're not. And I think, yeah, Paul is saying we are justified, and this is where I would." you know, take you to the footnote in NIV or NRSV. So rather than the faith in translation, the faith of. So we are included. We have a place at the table, Paul is saying to Peter, because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was obedient to the covenant in ways we are not, but we are through him brought into covenant faithfulness. We're
0: in, we belong. Yeah. So good. And that that's so important that we understand justification as covenant belonging. You are justified when you're – it's a family word. And I, I just love that you're bringing that out through this lens of, of centered set because that's asking where do we belong in relation to the center. Love it. Uh, so I think then we need to ask the other question in this passage that we just read. How do we understand what the works of the law are?
2: Yes. And so – that I think I will just give a very brief answer and just say, you know, hey, read James Dunn if you want, you know, a whole lot more. I mean, in the book I talk more about this. But works of the law, rather than thinking that that Paul is saying to Peter by fulfilling everything in the law, which none of them did, right? I mean, they they recognize we fall short, that's where there's a sacrificial system. So uh James Dunn argues that works of the law was sort of shorthand for this list of works law that defined Jews as distinct from others. So yeah. circumcision, sabbath laws, um dietary laws, so it would be this certain collection of traditions and they'd say and this is what the Jewish Christian gen, or Jewish Christian missionaries were trying to get the gentile believers to do is practice those Jewish yeah, I think um I think N.T. Wright calls them, you know, identity badges. So, like, mm. this is the way of saying, yeah, I'm in, I belong, I do these things.
1: So, what would you say Paul means when he's saying he is being crucified, been crucified with Christ?
2: Yeah, so there, I think it's, it's helpful to read. Um, so, two things. First, it's helpful to read it in context of 19. So, that's verse 20. Yep. But in 19, says, through the law, I die to the law so that I might live for God. Um, and again, I, I invite you to think of. For in Galatians, I argue when Paul uses law, he's he's thinking of it negatively, and I'd say from a religious bounded kind of approach. So he's saying, "Hey, you know, I used to be that, but I've died to that. How through being crucified with Christ?" And and here, um, yeah, and, and this Michael Gorman is great on this, but the you know, taking the in Christ language, and this is so hard for me as a Western, you know, North American individualistic shaped person to get the sense of being unified with Christ and with others. But in the cosmology of the time, yeah, that that was where, yeah, I think Paul is saying I was unified. I was brought into this new life by being unified in the death and resurrection of Jesus.
0: Okay, let's put all the parts together. We've talked about this passage, we kind of like walked through. Yeah. And uh, kind of in a brief way, how could you help us see the dynamic of centered set and a freedom from religiosity and judgmentalism like playing out? Just as you zoom out from this text, what are we seeing in the centered set of this text? In this text? Well, you know, I think it's, it might be
2: helpful to say what we don't see. So if Paul was bounded, then he would have had an argument with Peter about the correct criteria, right? So they would agree, you, you need to meet this criteria to be at the table, but it would be one saying, oh, you need to do this, and the other saying that. And so to note, first of all, Paul does not get into the details of the line. So it's centered set. He what does he get into? He focuses on the center. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, like this preaches. Right. So Paul focuses on the center. What matters is Jesus, what God has done through Jesus, not the content of some criteria we might come up with. Um, And he's also not fuzzy. He doesn't say, oh, you know, like, like I asked my students, if Paul was fuzzy here, what would he do? And I thought, you know, he might say something like, oh, yeah, let's just try to get along. But some of my students say, no, actually, he wouldn't say anything because he wouldn't uh, know, hurt anyone's feelings. So he's not fuzzy. He's he's centered. And so the but notice also I mean, he's not fuzzy. He confronts. Right. right? And this is where I think a misunderstanding where people think, you know, that the centered approach people can think, oh, it's like softer or not as, doesn't take, you know, ethics and behavior as seriously bound. We need to stay bounded because these things are important. Paul confronts Peter. um, Yes. And and that's in a centered approach. When people are, you know, going against going away, we want to pull them around, say, no, you're heading in the wrong direction. And we see that happening here.
1: Yeah. So if Galatians is a concerned about a communal ethic, as mentioned on page 193, how might that inform how we read the work of flesh, as in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, and fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 24, and how can we see these through a centered set lens and not a fuzzy or bounded set lens?
2: Yeah, so a couple of quick things. One, just to say, if you look at that list of works of the flesh. Fruits of the spirit, many of them have to do with interpersonal relations. And mm-hmm. I think it, it underscores, as you said, the, this communal concern of Paul. He's writing about stuff that would um what would hinder the shalom of the community, the well-being of the community. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Second thing that I, you know, in writing this, I found it helpful is yeah, fruit of the spirit again, Western individualist, North America, I think of, you know, my fruits, your fruits, but how would, and that's not, you know, wrong, problematic, but how do we think of this as our fruit? So Mm. as a community, we are people of peace, kindness, long-suffering. So I think that's a helpful thing, looking through the the communal lens. Um, And then again, centered. So Paul is, doesn't go soft on ethics. Like he has this list of things to do, but, but now, yeah, going to Cheris's assignment of this week, notice where do the ethics come into this? You know, he's yeah. had, um, he's had five and a half chapter, four and a half chapters of proclaiming what God has done through Jesus. And then yeah. he turns to our ethical response. So in a centered approach there are ethics, there are commands, there are imperatives, but they are rooted in mm. God's gracious action, so that they are not confused with, um, yeah, like those people on the street in Honduras that thought they had to do stuff in order to get in. This is clear. No, you're in. You're at the table now. Live in the way that is, yeah, in line with that.
1: Yeah. is an invitation to remember, like even going back to Abraham, right. As we see earlier in Galatians, like, um, so I would love to know, um, I would love to know all the things I feel like I start every sentence with that because I just want to know, but I would love to know what surprised you most as you wrote this book and, and also like in the book of Galatians in general, like what surprises were there as you were studying Galatians for this book or just in general? So
2: I think uh, what surprised me most, this is my third book on Galatians. So as I mentioned, you know, my dissertation, which was later published as Religious No More, Galatians is the heart of that. So it's not a commentary, Mm. but there's a lot of Galatians in it. And then, as I mentioned, I wrote uh, a longer, more in-depth commentary in Spanish on Galatians. And then this one. So I approached writing this as I wanted this tool to be out because of linking it with the centered set church book. And that's what drove me to write the book, why I I wanted to do it. Um, And I liked the idea as well as making it more accessible, you know, sort of less technical, so more for groups to use. Um, So yeah, I entered sort of dutiful, you know, mission driven, but not Anyways, surprised me that even after all these years like I I had energy. I was engaged not just to get the thing done, but I was engaged by the text. I was seeing new things, learning new things, being energized anew by this passage. So that that surprised me. And um yeah, I, I mentioned already the work of David Harvey. He gave me some good in, new insights on honor and shame and then Working with Paul Barclay's work on grace also, yeah, I mean, it was exciting for me to add some things that aren't in the previous books that were new. And so those, I guess, would be things I'd point to in this edition was that, yeah, deeper talk about honor and shame and, yeah, and, uh, and some new insights about grace. So
0: good. Okay, so this next question I'm going to throw at you. It's a bit of a self-serving, selfish question, perhaps, because in 2024, my church here in Winnipeg at the Meeting Place, we're going to do a series on Galatians. So the question that I wanted to ask you is, if a pastor or a leader, cough, cough, me, um, was going to lead, launch a teaching series, walk a community through Galatians, what advice might you give them? So my advice would
2: be to start the series where we just were with galatians two rather than starting with one one um mm. and mm. and that's what i do in this book and and it's yeah i was on a canoe with uh ryan Schellenberg and a retreat we do together you with some other professor types and and i was saying ryan i really feel like it'd be better for people to read this Antioch thing before we start. And yeah, I felt like the Pauline scholar gave me permission. So that's how I start the book. So I'd say start and because I think that helps a lot with getting the contrast of the Lutheran reading. Yeah. Um, so to right away, get this, this group dynamic. And then I'd also introduce, yeah, bounded centered fuzzy concepts right at the beginning as well. Um, and then you know, read Galatians through. Yeah. As I do in the, in the, in the commentary, in the first chapter I say, you know, there's two possible pictures. Think what did Paul have in mind when he's writing this? Was he thinking about people like Luther or was he thinking about these divided table at Antioch? And you can only
0: do that if you read the Antioch thing
2: first. So I guess that would be my
0: hmm.
2: counsel there.
0: What I hear you saying in that is like, I have this picture of like almost like an action film that you want people to start in the drama and then yeah. come back. Like if you've ever watched a good action film where it's like they give you oh, the yeah. first like couple minutes, you're like, oh my goodness, everything's blowing up. Yes. And then you get that five years later. <laughs> <You're> right. <Yeah. laughs> that is such a great way. I'll, I'll think about
2: it. Yeah, no, that and that I think has dramatic possibilities. Well done. Mm. The other thing, you know, just to, to mention the, the obvious, but you know, we don't always think about if we just start with one one. Paul knew why he was writing the letter, right? From the beginning, he knows what's going on, but we don't. So I I think, yeah, that's, yeah, I think a helpful thing.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Now I'm thinking about our church here in Houston going through that next as uh, our teaching team proposing that in our next leadership meeting. Um, Thank you so much for that, Mark. I would love to know besides this book, which is incredible. What additional resources would you recommend, um, for those who might want to study the book of Galatians?
2: So, I mean, I've already mentioned Richard Hayes a few times and he, um, yeah, I mean, I stand on his shoulders, not just in that awakening in that moment of that essay, but yeah, I had his commentary open here on my desk as I was writing uh, this. Mm. And so Richard Hayes, it's a volume 11 in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, the section on Galatians written by Richard Hayes, I recommend highly. And then I just mentioned John Barclay. So he has a really thick book on Paul and grace, but thankfully he wrote a much thinner, more accessible book called Paul and the Power of Grace. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I recommend that on going deeper on the topic of grace. And then I mentioned a few times already, david harvey who yeah we connected through jesus collective so he's in calgary at west Side king's church and so his Love dissertation him. is not published Love
1: david right? but if yeah. you
2: want to go um yeah if you want to go really deep on on honor and shame uh it's it just the the part first part of his dissertation is great on that and then mm-hmm. he has some really excellent exegetical reads of, of a few different passages so again that's David of Harvey, Calgary Westside King's Church. Just yeah, look him up and he's he's going to be inundated him.
0: with emails. I just right. that's going to bring him so I'm much sure joy. He'll be glad to have people reading his dissertation. So
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, uh, what what would be your hopes for this book as pastors, leaders, lay people as they engage it? What are your hopes that this book would accomplish? Yeah. So the two
2: things I already mentioned. Of I would hope the book would. Uh, deepen people's understandings of bounded, centered, and fuzzy, and then um, that, it, that it would also, through that lens, enrich people's understanding of Galatians. And maybe if we go back to where we started, you know, with that very first mm-hmm. question that Cherish asked me, I would hope that people would uh, recognize and then have the experience of Galatians is a text for me for mm. you for us and 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 not just see this as oh this is helpful for people who are struggling with legalism but that would find this um liberating from our own you know maybe wounds of boundedness or liberated from a yeah you know, sort of bland fuzziness so i yeah I, i'd hope that it's um a, yeah in an, an encounter with the Jesus at the center in a way that um, energizes, liberates, and shapes communities.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the great great gifts of this particular book that you've written is the approachability Um, for both those who serve in leadership to have something that isn't quite so academic to read. That's very much something that we can chew on and meditate and think upon and grow from and be informed by, but also for those who are just loving and leading and influencing in their communities in their neighborhoods and in their homes. So thank you, Mark. That's so great. I would love to know or be able to share uh, to our listeners, where can we find you online?
2: So, yeah, I think the uh, best place in relation to this theme is to go to centeredsetchurch.com um And there's information there about this book, the video center set church. And if you go to about, I, I think my email address is at the bottom of that.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you again for just spending some time with us today, t- sharing about your book with us and just your heart and your passion for Galatians just, just comes through just in, and everything that I have read of yours and, and this conversation. So thank you. Also, thank you listening audience for allowing me to co-host today. It's been such an honor and we just thank you for joining us today. We hope Yay. that you woo-hoo, are blessed and uh, go check out Church.
3: God is at work raising up a movement of churches, ministries, and disciples all around the world that are passionate about advancing a more united and hopeful, Jesus-centered, Jesus-looking kingdom. If you're a listener today, I'm sure you can see and feel that. So, can I ask you today if you'd help us amplify this Jesus-centered movement? Can you share the podcast, blog, and social media channels? We are on a mission to equip a centered set vision of a church renewed by Jesus by investing in the renewal of its leaders. Would you consider making a financial investment in Jesus collective today? Is anything stopping you? If not go to Jesuscollective.com. Your investment means we can advance and amplify this Jesus centered movement investing in pastors and Christian leaders globally. Hey, And don't forget to make sure to check out our website for upcoming events. We've got a ton of great things happening.